series on Canvas. And uh, we, over the last few weeks, have been talking about a lot of different things relating to how God works. And so uh, we were going to do some fun stuff this morning, and we've got a lot to share with you. Before we do that, if you're in Kidmo, I'm going to let you go. Head on back to Kidmo. If you're a Kidmo leader, go with them. And there they go, thankfully. Uh, If you are a guest and you have a child who is in um, second through fifth grade, Kidmo is our opportunity for them to have their own time of worship, small group, teaching, and games, and fun stuff. Um, So that's where they're headed to. So you're welcome to go check it out for your child. If you're a guest with us today, we're very happy to have you with us. And uh, we know that you could have slept in or been somewhere else. We're we're glad you chose to be with us today. For everybody that brought food for our youth um, fundraiser, thank you as well. Uh, That was some good stuff. And uh, it's helping, your donations are helping send them to camp this summer, uh, which we're excited about. We're excited about sending our kids off to camp this summer, Um, you know. For many reasons, but uh, no, we're, they're, they're all looking forward to that. Uh, as we've mentioned, today is a day for some, that today is just another day. Uh, you got up this morning, you've already got a plan, you're going to head out, and you're going you're gonna to fulfill that plan today. For others, today is a day that is very difficult, to very, it's a day of suffering for some. We recognize that, that a lot of people this morning may be in pain, and so uh, we want this to be an opportunity for you to be able to experience the peace of Christ and also just the care that He gives no matter what um, hardship you're dealing with in life. Uh, we honestly don't ever truly know what somebody's going through until we walk with them through life, do we? We don't really know how difficult life is for somebody until we walk with them and we see that. We're going to talk a little about that this morning, but I did want to elaborate on one of the prayer requests that Scott mentioned about the missionaries that are in hardship. Um, over Christmas, we, we raised um, almost $5,000 for... Uh, 1040 connections um, to help build a school um, in the slums of uh, of a part of the world that is very poor and very needy. Uh, their their ministry around the world is so multifaceted uh, that it is it is really difficult to to in one setting tell you all the ways they're plugged in around the world trying to help people and share the gospel. Uh, we do want you to be praying specifically for them because they are going through some very difficult times right now. They are overseas, and they travel often with their children. They, they make a lot of trips. And in this latest uh, excursion, both Leslie and Chad had to be in separate locations. And along the way, realized they did not have all the visas they needed to get to all the different locations they were heading to. So twofold prayer requests for them. One is that they get all of this taken care of and get you reunited and are able to then get back home. The second one is, is a little more dire uh, in that uh, Leslie was in India. And if Leslie was, she is, uh, if you remember a few weeks ago, a few months ago, back in November, I guess, Leslie spoke and she did just a fantastic job, not just sharing about missions, but just how God can be at work in our lives. Uh, she was speaking to a group of people in India and uh, come to find out she did not realize that a lot of the room were Muslim. And so somewhere in that dialogue, her phone apparently has been taken. Now, that may not seem like a big deal, uh, except that all of their contacts, local Christian contacts, were in that phone. And it is now someone has taken it. 
Um, and so we don't really know what that's going to mean. Hopefully this was just a misunderstanding and it will be found and there will be no issues. If you're a student of world events, you know that this also could be a very, very terrible thing in the making. So let's be praying for them in many ways. Not only can they come home safely, but to also be with them because they still have some time in India left. Pray for their safety, pray for the safety of those they're working with, and pray that there will be some kind of resolution to this phone that's been taken. So let's be in, in that prayer for them and, uh, and all those in our community that are struggling today. Uh, over the last few weeks, we've been talking about what, what does it look like for God to paint a picture on the canvas of our lives. And these are just great examples of what happens when the picture that's being painted is something we're not comfortable with. There are many times that a person after following Jesus will find out, you know, following Jesus is not as easy as somebody told me it was. It's not as carefree as somebody explained it to be. And, and I still have struggles and hurts and pains in life. And somebody told me that wouldn't happen anymore once I asked Jesus to be my savior. But we find very early that that is nowhere promised in scripture. And it doesn't take you a student of the Bible to find out that that's not reality for anyone. There are still very difficult things that we have to deal with in life. So what we've looked at over the last few weeks is we, we've looked at what, is it, what does it look like to have a canvas that is painted and how do we give control of our brush to God so that he can do a, a masterpiece of work in our lives when we're so tempted to take that brush ourselves. We also looked at the fact of what happens when our canvas is so messed up and ripped and ruined. Can anything good come of it? Have we so messed up our lives that there's no more hope? Then we looked at the reality that sometimes we do let God take the canvas. Sometimes we do let him take the brush and we let him work. And then other times we take back control and, and we start messing up the picture. But God in all of his wisdom is able to then come in and correct where we've taken over if we let him. And he's able to work that into the fabric of the story that he's telling us. And then last week, Stacy did an incredible job talking about what happens whenever our lives are so broken that we don't think we can be put back together again. And the truth is that God in his holiness and in his ability to heal can take all of our cracks and broken pieces, put us back together. And sometimes the best way to demonstrate the light of Christ is by him shining through our brokenness that has been repaired by him. So some great things that we've been looking at over the last uh, few weeks. What I want to share with you today is something that may be a little more difficult for some. And it, it begs a bigger question in the world in which we live. And that is, how do we understand God's work in our lives in relation to his work in other people's lives? Sometimes God is at work in your life and you really don't know what in the world he's doing. There are many times that we can kind of step back and self-assess. What does our life look like? Where are we headed? Do we feel like our life is worthwhile? Do we have purpose? Does it matter? The picture is being painted on our lives. At the end of the day, when it's all said and done, will anybody look back and go, that was a masterpiece or that was something that was worthwhile? Or they just look at us and go, yeah, it's no big deal. There are many ways that we struggle in our own lives. How do we deal with the fact that at times when God is at work, we don't understand what he's doing? 
And the truth is, there is a reality within the way that God works that at sometimes we can't fully understand what he's wanting to do by just looking at ourselves. If you're going to take some notes, you can follow along on version. I'm going to get rid of this hum just for a minute here, if that's okay. Hopefully that will go away in a minute. If you're taking notes, you can follow along on version. If you have a Bible, we're going to be looking at several different places. We're going to be starting in Philippians. If you need a Bible, there are some Bibles available out in the hallway and uh, on the table. Would just you see a bunch of Bibles there? Grab one and take one. If you need to take one for somebody else, you're welcome to do that as well. As we begin today, what I want you to be to think through is how does God work in your life as it relates to other people. The truth is that no matter how hard we try to live in a vacuum, no one ever truly will. You see, when we put a canvas up and we talk about what's God going to do with my life, you are very easily able to worry about what will God do for you. When we begin to understand this concept of a canvas and we do these fun things that we talk about, well, what can God do in your life? What does God want to do in your life? It's very easy to believe that the whole picture is about you. And so you begin to, be, to believe somewhere deep within you that you're living in a vacuum. And what I mean by that is nothing else around me matters other than what's happening for me. And it is not just a temptation, it is a reality for life for many people to walk through thinking that it doesn't matter. Let's make sure we understand that this canvas is about me. You cannot ever truly live in a vacuum. You can't ever truly live a life that's focused just on you and have any self of happiness or any sense of happiness or value or love in life. It can't happen. Our kids, uh, a few weeks ago, we watched uh, Castaway together. That was our first experience with Castaway. And it was just, it's a great movie if you've never seen it. Our favorite, my favorite character is Wilson, myself. But what we see in the movie Castaway and what we know by reading the accounts of military operations throughout time is that the best way to break a person is to separate them from all other people. Now, we don't have to go through any kind of lesson on warfare. We don't have to be shipwrecked on an island to learn this. Some of the saddest, most depressed people in the world truly are lonely. To be alone and to be just into your own kingdom is something that will lead you to not just depression... But you will literally lose your mind because you were built to interact with people around you. But yet we live in a society that says, don't worry about them. There's only one person you need to worry about, and that is yourself. And we ask ourselves, why are we so miserable in life? Because many of us want our canvas to only be occupied with ourselves. And God never created you to be that way. He never meant for life to be that way. How do we do this within our life? Let me ask you this. How many of you today actually have some kind of savings account or some kind of retirement account? Does anybody have anything like that? Hopefully not enough of you. It should be everybody. 
All right, so looking for the people to have their hands up. You're going to come looking for them later in life, all right? But how many of us within our savings plan for the future, not just plan for our personal savings, but what about how do we have enough to make sure we help others that don't have enough? Does your savings plan account for other people in their needs that you haven't thought about yet? Probably not, because when we think about savings, we think about taking care of ourselves. How about your budget right now? How you spend money right now? Whenever we get together and do a budget, we we talk a lot about what are our needs? What do we have to spend on this and that and the other? How do we make sure that we have enough at the the end of the month? But how many times do we stop and go, wait a minute, I know somebody else that has a need or is going to have a need coming up. We need to save back to help them meet that need. Probably don't do that very often because we are just naturally geared to think about taking care of ourselves. What about our prayer life? How much of our time in prayer do we spend centered around our needs, our wants? God, take care of me and what's got happening right now in my life versus how much time do we spend thinking of others and interceding for others in their prayer life? See, it's so natural for us To think that the canvas is our canvas and the only canvas God should be worried about at any point in time is ours. But when we do that, what we end up doing is hurting ourselves. Whenever a new opportunity comes, whether it's in the office at work, a promotion's out there. Whenever there's a new opportunity for something enjoyable, for fun or free tickets or whatever. Do you ever stop to think, maybe they deserve that opportunity more than me. I'm going to let them take that opportunity. I'm going to pass on it. Maybe sometimes. Maybe occasionally we'll do that. But do we look for how can we help and bless others? How about this? How many relationships do you have today that you have committed to love them and give grace to them even though they never return the favor to you? How many of those intentional relationships have we committed to even though we feel that we get nothing back from them. There's something in us that says, well, I'm not going to have anything to do with that person. I mean, because let's get my, I mean, my canvas is what's most important. And ultimately, do we feel responsible for others as well as ourselves? Now, this is very easily and could very quickly turn into a guilt-ridden sermon, right? I could throw down all kinds of examples and we could all feel guilty and walk out of here hanging our heads in shame and thinking, yeah, I should do something for somebody. That's not the point of what we want to do today. What I do want to do is help expand your understanding of how God works. Because God is not just concerned with your canvas. See, when we look at life like this and and every illustration breaks down, we can in no way truly use this as an accurate representation of what God is doing in your life. It's not just the fact that God loves other people. It also has to do with God may be doing something in someone else's life that he wants to impact you with. So here's what we're going to do today. This is you. Now, we love to talk about us. I love to talk about me. Whenever we grow up, we love to think about us. And I want you to see my great artistic ability that I've been practicing. This is you. Wonderful, isn't it? It's glorious. It's a picture of you. I'm going to take bids on this at the end of the service. That's you. You want it. (laughs) 
That's you. Now, here's the reality. You don't live in this world all by yourself. Can we all agree to that? All right, I can't put a representation for every other person that's up here, but there's you, and I want you to look at your neighbor. Stare at him for a good minute. This is them. They look very similar to you. A little heavier, a little broader. Let's not, let's not go there. We'll see if this is going to work. Here's what I'm going to do. I've already messed up my illustration. Here's you taking a nap. And the funny thing is that some of you are literally doing that right now. Punch your neighbor who's taking a nap. Here's your other neighbor. Look to the other side of you. How about the guy behind you? They're looking behind them, right? Now, this is silly. I know. But my question for you is, whose prayer is God supposed to answer? All of them. All of course. What if in order to answer one prayer, God has to say no to another prayer? God, I really want to win the lotto. Let me be the one. Well, if you're going to win, what about all those other people who are praying and didn't win the lotto? Who's he supposed to answer, right? But God, I really need it. Because nobody else has prayed that to win the lotto ever, right? How do we understand, well, who's God supposed to answer here? There are definite times that in order for God to do something in your life, someone else may have to feel lost so that you feel gain. Now, which person does God love more? You see, within our own lives, let's say this is me taking a nap. I think, God, okay, love these people, but let's stay focused right here. They need you, but come on, they're doing okay. I can tell, but I've got real issues. Let's worry about me. Now, what happens when God begins to work and he begins to work around you and you can't tell what God is doing? What happens when God begins to work and do things in the world and you're going, God, that's confusing. I just lost my job. That's not on the plan. I did not pray for that. How do we understand that? How do we understand when your neighbor gets a blessing and you feel like you're constantly getting cursed? Does God love them better? Does God not care about me? And the truth is, if we try to live in a vacuum, it will change everything that we understand about our lives. And when we don't understand what God is doing, we will inevitably begin to judge him for it. The truth is, when we often judge God's work in our lives based on the evidence we see that is leading to my personal happiness. I can tell God's at work. It's a good day. I feel good. But what about on the bad day, on the dreary day, on the day things are going wrong? Is God still at work? Is God still good? Does God still love you? 
you ever known somebody that took a job that they wanted, they prayed for, and then they got in there and they hated it? Would God's grace have been more evident if he had kept them from that job? And yet we would have said God doesn't love them because God doesn't give them what they desire. He He didn't give them the job they prayed for. How do we understand God's work? If we are tenaciously focused on what God should be doing in our life instead of what God is doing in the lives of others. If we only think about what God's doing right now in me, then you are trying to live your life in a vacuum and you will miss what God really wants to do in your life. You will miss what God really wants to do in your life because God wants to do so much more, including the people around you. What if God is working in ways that you can't interpret through the lens of just your life? See, you are naturally built in order to interpret your life through your own personal lens. That's the way you will live life. That's the way you come into the world. And that's the way you will continue to live throughout your life. Unless you begin to stop and say, I need to have a broader picture of what's happening and not just worried about what's happening to me. What if he's working in ways that you can't interpret and therefore the fuzziness of what God is doing is so confusing because God never meant for you to understand his work solely through what's happening for you. But instead, he wants you to see what he's doing in the broader scope of humanity. It begins to change things, but it makes it very difficult for us to understand. There is one unescapable truth, and I want you to know this beyond a shadow of a doubt. No matter who you are, where you've been, God is at work in you. I don't care who you are, whether you're a self-proclaimed atheist, whether you say, I hate God, God is at work in you in some way. God continues to work. He never stops working, even though there are a lot of people that say God stopped working a long time ago. He gave up on us. To believe that God gives up on us is to ignore everything God has ever said about his love for us, his grace for us, and the mercy he constantly gives us. He never stops. God is constantly at work in you. Philippians 2, 12 through 13 says this. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and work for Who's good pleasure? We go through this verse often because we need this reminder often. God works for his pleasure, not for mine. My life, the the masterpiece that he may create is for his pleasure, not for mine. And yet the same lens that causes us to stay focused on what's going on for me right now. Am I happy? Is my personal ambition being met? That will always work against what God wants to do because it's for his pleasure, not for yours. Can we embrace that? Philippians 1, 6 says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He's going to continue to work in your life. No matter what, no matter who you are, no matter if you feel like you're in the middle of an island right now, you're in a room full of people right now, but you feel as if you were on a desert island all by yourself. God is at work in you and he's going to bring that to completion. If you're frustrated with your life, it's because you can't yet interpret what God is doing. And that's okay. 
There are many times in your life you're going to struggle with interpreting what God is doing. Many times that you're going to struggle with understanding what does this move mean? What does this tragedy mean? What does this thing I've worked my whole life for now it's gone mean? What is this pain that I'm having to endure maybe over and over and over again? What does this mean? There are going to be times it's going to be so difficult to understand that. But you need to know this, that while God will always be at work in your life, God's work does not always feel good. No amens on that? Sometimes God's work doesn't feel good. But yet we live in a world that says only invest your life in the things that feel good. It's one of the reasons people walk away from God. They say, I don't have time for you. I don't want to have anything to do with this. It's because sometimes God is at work, but it doesn't feel good. Is there a parent in the room that could admit that every parenting decision you ever ever made felt good? I mean, you wouldn't, you wouldn't wish you hadn't have done, had to do something. No punishment you would wish you hadn't have had to have dealt out. Why do we allow bad things to happen to our children other than we hope that they will learn and grow from this, right? And yet we don't let God have that interaction in our lives. The truth is that many times we question God and we just flat get mad at God. Because he hasn't given us what we want. Because we don't understand what he's doing. Second Corinthians says this. And listen, if you're coming in with the mindset that following Jesus is supposed to be fun and easy and frolicking through meadows all the time. Listen to this. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Okay, that's great that we're not destroyed. It's great that we're not forsaken. It's great that we're not driven to despair, but we're still crushed. We're still perplexed. We're still persecuted. We're still struck down. That doesn't feel like a frolicking meadow. No matter how many times we quote the 23rd Psalm, it doesn't feel good sometimes to follow Jesus. Verse 10 says, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that, there's a purpose for this, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in us. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that, there's purpose, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. We go through these things. It helps us align our lives with the suffering of Jesus. And it also helps us to experience the life of Jesus that goes beyond mere simple daily happiness. Knowing Jesus is so much more than frolicking in a meadow. It's so much more than feeling like everything's going to go my way. It's so much more than not fearing that something bad will happen. Following Jesus, walking with Jesus, and knowing Jesus has so much more value than what the rest of the world is pursuing, which is this temporary, fleeting sense of well-being. Knowing Jesus has value. When we are only looking... 
at God's work through the lens of our personal happiness or our personal success, we will become disillusioned with him every single time. Some of you in this room are disillusioned with God right now for this very reason, because you've been waiting for him to do something and he hasn't done what you have been asking him to do. So you've become disillusioned with him. I want to give up on him. I've looked at what these other people in the world who call themselves Christians are doing, and I want to have nothing nothing to do with that. I look at what, what some of these pastors and preachers and priests are doing in the world, and I think, why would I want to be a part of that? They're so messed up. I'm disillusioned with God because I don't understand what's happening in the world because I have just this very small limited lens of God and ourselves. Isaiah 29 says this. This is the not so feel good part. Isaiah 29 says this about our disillusionment with God. It says, how foolish can you be? He is a potter and he is certainly greater than you, the clay. Should the created thing say to the one who made it, he didn't make me. Does a jar ever say the potter who made me is stupid? It takes some reflection to ask ourselves, are we ever doing that in our own lives? Isaiah 45, starting with verse 9, says, What sorrow awaits those who argue with their creator? Does a clay pot argue with its maker? Does the clay dispute with the one who shapes it, saying, Stop, you're doing it wrong? We don't ever do that, do we? God, what are you doing here? This is not what I asked for. God, I've been praying for this. I've fasted over this. I've gone to church. I've started giving money to different people. I mean, I'm doing what I think you want want me to do. Why won't you do this thing I'm asking you? It can be very frustrating. Be very painful. Does the pot proclaim how clumsy can you be? How terrible would it be if a newborn baby said to its father, why was I born? Or it said to its mother, why did you make me this way? This is what the Lord says, the Holy One of Israel and your creator. Do you question what I do for my children? Do you give me orders about the work of my hands? I am the one who made the earth and created people to live on it. With my hands, I stretched out the heavens. All the stars are at my command. Okay, so we can feel bad about that. I do question God, get mad at God. I tell God, unless you do this, I'm done with you. Okay. So how do we deal with this? Where do we go from here? How do we give God this ability to be in control? How do we understand the bigger picture whenever we don't understand it? We just, we're confused by it. The brushstrokes he's making make no sense to us. What I find often is one brushstroke that we don't understand we can deal with and we can have faith. Two brushstrokes we begin to question. Three brushstrokes and we begin to turn away from God because the more we don't understand, the quicker we say, I need to understand and therefore I don't want to have anything to do with you. So how do we move forward with this? I would say this because every one of us is, is, if we're not dealing with this now, we'll deal with this in our lives. The first thing is this, own your motivation. Own it. Own your motivation. Be honest with yourself. What motivates you? What's really going on inside of you? See, the world says, don't own it. You're a victim. Not your fault you are the way you are. Just be the way you are. Be authentic. Right? You can't live life, a whole life, without owning your motivation. 
If you're waiting for that great job and you're waiting for somebody just to come alongside and give it to you without you doing any work, it's not going to happen. Own it. Own your lot in life. Own what's going on in your life. But first and foremost, own your motivation. What is motivating you to do this? Let's look at this. Let's look at our picture here. Because I, you know, I like our two laying down people and our two people look like they're jumping. Some of you feel this way, by the way. Uh, this, this is my um, neighbor. He's jumping up and down on me, right? <laughs> he's totally in sync with how he impacts my life and he's hurting me, right? And same over here, all right? Here, here, here's what I know about our motivation. And I don't propose to know everything about everyone, but I do know enough about this because I've, I've learned about it in my own life. That there are many people who know exactly what they want from God. And they make, make sure that God knows exactly what that is. And so they begin to put these barriers up in their life. I don't know if this is going to work. This is totally a crazy idea. But can you picture these barriers? That one won't work. Now, what this barrier represents, it represents the amount of time we believe that God is supposed to be involved with others and the amount of time it's supposed to be involved with us. And I'll say this is me down here in the corner. And me down there in the corner, I'm really concerned with what kind of picture God is going to paint around me. What's God going to do in my life? And I really want God to do something spectacular. I mean, don't hold back, God. I'm worth it, right? I'm worth it. So, God, here's what I want. I need a good job. I need a good family. I don't want anybody to be sick. And I want at the end of the day when I retire that I can live well. So, God... Go to work. Then God begins to go to work and all of a sudden you see this stroke. And you go, that's cool, God. But remember, this is me. Remember, that's me down there. God, this is very cool what you're doing. You're doing this incredible thing. But let's not forget who we're doing this for. And so God, so you deal with that one stroke or you deal with those few strokes and you say, okay, God, I can deal with that. But God, I want you to remember, I want a good life. I want my job to go well. I want a good retirement. I want everybody to stay well. And I want to win from time to time. And so God begins to work. And we can see God working and he's doing some pretty neat things in the lives of other people. And we get frustrated because God, I see that you're at work and I see that you're doing something. But let's not forget about me. What about my job? What about my family? What about my happiness? What about my career? And we get frustrated because God continues to work. Sometimes you even have a great worship experience and you say, God, I mean, I just heard him speak. Not only did I hear him speak, I know that he told me that he is absolutely going to answer my prayer. I knew he was. I believed him. And when God begins to work again that night or the next day, 
God's continuing to paint and he's continuing to work. And we're now getting really frustrated because God, I see what you're doing, all this stuff in everybody else's life. But what about me? When you need to interpret all of God's work as it only relates to you, you will find very quickly that God does not give you what you want. Because God is not a God who is concerned with one individual. And one of the reasons that I love having the New Testament and the Old Testament scripture is we begin to see all of the ways that God works over generations, over nations, over time periods. And not just the individual prayers of individual people along the way. God cannot be contained by just painting one picture for you. Philippians 2 verse 3 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. In other words... You've got these barriers up saying, God, why aren't you giving me what I want? I'm asking, I'm praying, you're doing this other stuff, but what about me? And when we own our motivation, we say, I really could care less about them. I don't care what happens to them. Their life's not my life. My life's my life. And we begin to own our motivation and how selfish we can really be. Now, it's easy for us to point out how selfish somebody else can be. You know why that is? It's because we see that they don't want to give to us anything. They want to keep it for themselves. We notice that. Why? Because we, at our core, want ourselves to be taken care of. Own your motivation. It's not a very good picture. I don't know. I guess it could be a flag with a dead guy on it. I don't know. (laughs) But what if you're this guy? And you feel like God's not been doing anything. God is dead. Even though he's doing all this other stuff. What happens? Matthew 20, 25 says, Jesus called to them. He said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you talking to his disciples, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. What? I want them to be my servants. I want them to meet my needs. Give me what I want. Verse 27, whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I want to be first, but I don't want to be a slave. Even as the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, which means this. God intends for your life to be poured out for other people, just as Jesus's was poured out for us. You cannot understand what God is doing when you only look at yourself. It can't happen. It will never happen. And you'll be frustrated along the way. First, if you want to move through this, own your motivation. Second, you have to change your view and therefore change your mind. It's a change of perspective. And it's what Jesus and the apostles call repentance. It's a change in the way that we see things. Now, how do we do this? In our small group this past 
uh, week, we talked about uh, Stacy's illustration and the brokenness and, and how one of the ways that we demonstrate God's love is that we let other people see the brokenness and the way he's put us back together. It doesn't really do a whole lot for God's reputation to just see a bunch of broken pieces. But when we are able to show how he's put us back together and that he's the glue that holds us together, there's value in that. In addition, we talked about one of the events that happened last Sunday. If you read our, our email blast, if you've, if you've read Scott's post from Sunday, you'll uh, recognize that we had a, a visitor outside the building last week, a guy who is homeless. Scott had a chance to talk with him and go out and share some food with him. And uh, so they had an exchange, helped build a relationship with him. And we, so we talked about that led into a conversation of well, how do we help people that we don't know truly what their need is? What about that? What if that person likes the life that they're living? I mean, what, what if, if that's just the life that they want to live or what if they won't accept help? One of the things we talked about is to truly find a way to help somebody. The only way you can do that is to truly get to know that person. This means you have to spend time with them. You have to invest in them. You have to get to know them genuinely so that you can know genuinely how you can invest. When we change our view and therefore change our mind, we turn from the mindset that it is about me and what I want and what I need. And we begin to see that this is an opportunity for me to invest in others and to help others. And we find that Jesus said there is great value in the world and great value in God's eyes to be a servant to others. Even though our culture says be a servant to no one. What if right now... The work God is doing in your life can only be understood by the work he's doing in the lives of the people around you. That you can't interpret it just looking at your own canvas. I don't know who's screaming. I'm sure they're screaming out of fun out there. I can hear. <laughs> I hope they're having fun. One of the things that you will find in life, if you haven't found it already... So when everything is said and done, the most valuable thing you'll have are your relationships with others. Eventually, you'll get to a place, probably, that your health will fail. You won't be able to go do the things you used to do. You won't be able to do the hobbies you once did. You won't be able to hold the job and therefore the prestige. Your ego won't be able to be sustained by the works of your hands because you're not able to do that. And you'll find that the most important thing in your life are your relationships, your friendships, people closest to you. You'll find that rather trying to figure out how do I get that next thing, I'm just happy to spend it with the people that I love and that love me. The older you get, the more you realize that. The younger you are, the more ambitious you are, and relationships tend to take a back seat. The older you get, the more relationships become central to you. First way to, for us to make a change is to own our motivation. The second way to make a change is for us to change our view. Winston Churchill said this, we make a living by what we get. We make a life by what we give. Let that sink in. Make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. Albert Einstein said this, strange is our situation here upon earth. This kind of sounds like Yoda. He kind of looks like Yoda. Strange is our situation here upon earth. You know, anyways, sorry. 
Each of us comes for a short visit, not knowing why, yet sometimes seeming to divine a purpose. From the standpoint of daily life, however, there is one thing we do know that man is here for the sake of other men. Community. One last one, Immanuel Kant said, always recognize that human individuals are ends and do not use them as means to your end. Relationships, investing in people, caring for people. So first, own your motivation. Second, if you're going to truly begin to see things differently, you have to have a change in your viewpoint. And third, you have to have a mind for community. To have a mind for community. You cannot live your life apart from everybody else. You cannot live just focused on what you need in life. I want you to read, I want you to listen to this. First Corinthians chapter 12. I want you to listen to how God describes the church. How God describes people. Now what we often see in the church are people, separate individuals that are looking for something for themselves and are often frustrated because they can't find it. What we also see are people that have chosen to intertwine their lives with others and have found great fulfillment in that because that's God's plan. For just as the body is one and has many members, all members of the body, though many, are one body. So it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. The foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. The whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? The whole body were an ear, where would the sense of, of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. He's the one painting the picture. He put you here for a reason. He put you in community with other people for a reason. The relationships you have, whether some you would choose and some you would rather ignore, they are there for a reason. God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. God doesn't look down upon humanity and look at all the little individual people and all the little individual prayers. Instead, he looks at the body that we are all a part of. And the strokes that he's making is for the whole body, not just for me. As much as I want him to focus on me, he's not just concerned with what I want. Surprise, surprise. God's making strokes for the whole body. The eye can't say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor can the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And on our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts don't require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it. 
that there may be no division in the body. Those barriers that keep us from experiencing God's work, that there would be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. You cannot understand God's work when you just look at your own life. Have I gotten that through? I keep saying it over and over because I know it's hard for us to accept this. John 13, 35, another example by this, all people know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Not that I did something amazing in your life and not in theirs because you love me and they don't. God never said that anywhere. Instead, he shows his love through the way we love other people. So how do I wrap all this? I plan on doing more painting, but I think I've done enough damage over there. I think I've made the point. How do you do this? Can I just make these simple suggestions? While they're simple to say, they may not be simple to implement. I do believe it's as simple as this. Love one another. We cannot truly love someone else when we are so hyper-focused on what we need and what we want. I'll be honest, I'm so tired. I don't know if any of you are, are, are blog readers. I'm so tired of reading these blogs about what's wrong with the church and why are people leaving the church. And, you know, all of these arguments are, you know, I get people are leaving the church. But what I don't get are people saying, well, I'm leaving the church because the church doesn't care about anybody but themselves and you don't care at all about what I want. That is the most hypocritical thing you'll ever find. I'm leaving because you guys think about yourselves, but I want you to think about me. I'm so tired of them trying to have all these shows and everything, but yet you don't use the tools. You're not on Facebook like I am. You just seem irrelevant to me. That's so hypocritical. Because in most, if not all of those posts, what they're trying to do is say, hey, 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 I want you to gear everything towards me and I will be involved. That's not the way the church has ever worked. I mean, sometimes it works that way and it's the most, most unhealthy thing you'll ever see in your life. Love one another. You can't love somebody without giving away something that you would have held on to yourself. There's a part that you have to sacrifice. There's a part that you have to withhold from yourself to give to someone else. Love one another. Another one is this, very simple. Serve one another. Find somebody to serve. You want to see God penetrate your life? Begin to ask God how you can be used to help other people. And you will see God penetrate your life because that's how God works. Another one, invest in others. Invest. Investing means that we take something that we hold of value and we give it to somebody else. That may be your time. It may be your resources. Invest in others. Another one is this. Forgive one another. None of us truly likes to forgive until we truly feel that we are in need of forgiveness. We are most apt to forgive somebody when we feel and we wish that someone would forgive us. So just lead with forgiving others. Similarly, restore one another. How can we help others? How can we pick them up? How can we help them? 
and one another, build up one another. Be an encourager. There is no one in this room that needs more people to tell them what they're doing wrong. They got plenty of people signed up for that role. But we need people that will build us up, encourage, find good things. Finally, I will leave you with this. God's work in you can only be understood in the context of his work in others. So when you're confused and you're not sure what God is doing or why he's doing it, if you think, man, God is so active in all these other people's lives. I mean, they're just doing some all these incredible things and, 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 and God, I'm just right here. I mean, I'm telling him what he can do. And it's just not happening. Maybe that's why it's not happening. Some of you that feel lonely and you think, I want these relationships. I see other people have these relationships. Take the step. Whenever you have the opportunity to serve other people, take the opportunity to serve. Give it to them. Help them. Care about them. We share times here that you can serve not just within our walls. Sometimes you can. We're still in great need of some preschool helpers. We love to have children come in and we, we want to not just corral them and keep them safe from killing each other until you go pick them up. We want to care for them, love them and help them. But we can't do that if people aren't willing to serve. If people aren't willing to give. People aren't willing to say that child's life is as important as my life. The time for that child is as important than my time for me. You're like, well, man, our children just aren't for me. But there's somebody you can serve and you can give and you can invest in. Find a way to do that. Just as my uh, plug, if you are interested in serving in children or if you do, uh, we from time to time do a stock of how many people are serving in our different ministries. And the number of people that serve in our children's ministry is staggering. One of the reasons that is that makes us different from other places is because we, we have one service and uh, we don't have our children's events happening before church. They happen during the service. So we ask people to commit to once a month. And so in order for that to happen, one classroom that normally takes three people in that classroom actually takes 12 volunteers for one four-week month. So we have a large number of people. So I want to invite you, if you were one of those, to let us thank you after this service to stay. We've got lunch for you. And if you want to see what this looks like to serve and to help, or, or maybe this is a ministry you would like to be in, I invite you to come and have lunch and hear about it. The only way that we as a church community can make a large impact in Chattanooga is when we begin to see what God wants to do over all of our lives. And not just our own individual ones. Would you pray with me? Father, God, I thank you for the, the work you do, even in the times that I don't recognize it because it, I don't feel it for my own personal life. God, you are blessing people in our congregation and doing great things in their lives. Help us all to celebrate with them. God, I pray in those times when I'm tempted to spend all of my time thinking about me, help me to think about others. 
God, let us see the opportunities to serve. Let us see the opportunities to encourage, to love, to forgive, and to restore, to build up instead of tear down. Help us to see how our lives cannot be independent from the lives of those around us. God, I pray for those in the room that they feel alone and they have no one. And we have a whole room full of people that can be deep, meaningful friends. Help us to not only follow you, but to do it well. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.